I want to tell you how fortunate I feel, and I mean this from the depths of my heart. I, Rod Stewart sings this song, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? And it's kind of in my mind. Um, have I told you lately that I love you? I, I just really love uh, you guys. I love being a part of this ministry. And I honestly, as I'm sitting down there in the worship service, and, and, and God is just you know, moving all over this place, and I'm getting wamboozled. As I'm baptizing the floor in the name of the Father and of the Son. I forgot we're Baptists. I've got to immerse it. <laughs> no. But I'm just thinking that I, I, I feel very fortunate to be a part of this ministry. I feel fortunate. I feel like one of the luckiest guys on earth to be able to have the opportunity to, to um, just serve you and by delivering the word. And I appreciate you. I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate the little notes I get so often. Almost every week I get notes from somebody saying something nice. And, and it really helps. And I just, I just, I, God's given me a, a real kind of shepherd's love, a shepherd's heart for this, this people, for you people. And I just want to tell you, I, I, I feel very fortunate. I feel blessed. Sometimes people ask me, how long are you going to do this? Because they wonder why, you know, I, I, I teach full-time at Bethel College and then I preach here. And they think that maybe it's a temporary thing. But i got to tell you that. And they wonder if I'm going to burn out or something. But see, this, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but I love to do this. I, this, is, this is what turns me on. If I don't do this, uh, something's missing in my life. This feeds me. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, you can pray for my throat. This morning I'm a little raspy. But, uh, but... In terms of energy and life, uh, I love this. This is kicking, and I just feel, I feel like it's a privilege to be a part of this. Ephesians chapter 6, we're continuing. Let me say one other thing. <laughs> but I want to here encourage all of you to return back to square one over and over again. And square one is prayer. And I, I just I felt this morning this need to remind ourselves again what we're all about. I really believe that the number one danger of any church that is experiencing by anyone's criteria success, the number one danger of that church is to become complacent, to become self-sufficient, and to become self-confident, right? Where you begin to think that it's actually the way you're preaching or you think it's the way you're doing music or the way you're doing children's program or whatever, you begin to think that you got it together, you know, and, and you're just a happening thing. And, and if you just keep the programs going, then, God, then, then, then things are going to keep on happening. And the minute that happens, I really believe you might as well write Ichabod over the, the front of the door, which means in Hebrew, God has departed. Because from beginning to end, our conviction has been, and we need to always be reminded of this, and God help us to be reminded of this, that the only thing that bears kingdom fruit is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we bear fruit when we're plugged into Jesus Christ, but without Him, He says in John 15, we can do nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. We can do nothing. You can have a nice program. Yeah, you can have nice music. That's great. You can do nice sermons. Fine, fine. You can have a great children's program. You can probably fill an auditorium. But there will be nothing of kingdom value in any of that unless the Lord Jesus Christ is enveloping it, unless the Spirit of God is infusing it. And that happens when people pray. And so I want to be encouraging you, whatever else you do in connection with Woodland Hills, if you feel spiritually connected to this body, if you are a member of this body, to be in prayer for this body. Be praying for each, each celebration service. Be praying for the house churches. Be praying for the nursery. Be praying for the greeters. 
Be praying for your ministry because you've got a ministry too. Be praying for every aspect of, of, of this ministry. Surround us with prayer. Surround yourself with prayer because God responds to prayer, right? And, and uh, ain't nothing going to happen, folks, unless the people of God are praying. I encourage you on a daily basis to be committed in that area. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read verses 10 through 12 once again. This is my third sermon on these three passages, these three verses. This is one of the reasons why we've been in this book for two years. But this is the final sermon that I'm going to be doing on a, as a foundational thing uh, on spiritual warfare. And starting next week, we're going to be talking about putting on the armor of God, putting on the, uh, the clothing that's appropriate for warfare. And I, I'm biting at the bit to get to that. We're going to start with the belt of truth. Mm. But this morning we'll be talking about the foundation of all that. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, stop there for a second. <laughs> this is the only reason why we've been there for two years. Finally, very important word here. Paul, you might note there, is he, he's now going down the final stretch of the book. We've been in this book for two years. Here he's bringing it all together. He's been talking about who we are in Christ. We've seen last year and occasionally since then the glory of who the believer is in Christ and all that we have as a part of our salvation. And then he's been talking about how to walk the walk. Here, Paul's going to bring it all together. He's going to sum it all up. And he does it by talking about what else but spiritual warfare. Whatever else you get from that, you've got to get this. For Paul, the main thing about being a Christian, now hear this, the main thing about Christian isn't what it does for you. It's not about being saved, though that's great. It's not about just getting out of hell, though that is great. But what being a Christian is involved in is not just a matter of what happens to you, but what God does through you. When you become a Christian, a lot of great things happen to you, but you also be, you get a vocation. You get a job description. Being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is not about meism. It's not about what happens to you, though a lot of great things happen to you. But it's about what God now wants to use you in and in, in, in sending you outward. And one of the things that God wants to use you in, in whatever capacity, is to be involved in spiritual warfare. Finally, he says, here's how I want to sum this whole thing up. Last thing I want to say to you is this. Be strong. Be strong how? In the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor. Put on the full armor of God. Why? so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It looks like that, but it's not. Our struggle, our wrestling match in Greek, our, our, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It looks like that, but it's not. Our struggle is against, and now we just list different categories of spirits that we have to fight. We have to fight Satan and all of his schemes. We fight against the general. But we also have to fight against these lieutenants and these admirals and these colonels and these privates and these foot soldiers. Every aspect of the demonic army we are at war against. So you've got to put on the full armor of God. Let's pray. Father, Father, uh, we, we know that we are not to trust anything other than your... You and your spirit. So, Lord, we put no trust in, in uh, we put no confidence in words, no confidence in music, no confidence in programs. 
Right now, Lord God, we put no confidence in what's going to come out of my mouth. But we put confidence in your ability to use whatever comes out of my mouth. And so, Lord, I pray that the same spirit that was here during the worship service, in Jesus' name, would be here as the word is going forth. And I pray, Lord God, that even as the word is going forth, you would be protecting it, that you would be surrounding it, that you'd be infusing it with your power, Lord God, to bring kingdom fruit. Lord, we cannot talk our way into becoming warriors. You've got to do that. So, Lord, we relinquish the responsibility of talking people into being warriors. We ask your Spirit to be present here to make these words get seared into our brains and our hearts to transform us into the kind of people you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Three things I want to talk about this passage. The first has to do with the reality of our enemy. The second thing has to do with the schemes of our enemy. And the third thing has to do with our weaponry in fighting this enemy. First of all, the reality of this enemy. Some of you have seen this book. Probably all of you have seen this book or something like this book. Have you seen? It's called The Magic Eye. How many people have, have, have looked in this, in this uh, Magic Eye book or some book like it? I've heard many. How many people have actually been able to see the three-dimensional pictures in this book? That's bizarre because more of you raised your hands for being able to see it than ever. Never mind. <laughs> One of the things I love about this church is it's so strange. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was over at a party not too long ago. Sue Bates had a party, a Christmas party, and I, they were my neighbors at the time, so I went over there, and they had this book. In fact, this is her book. I borrowed it, and I haven't returned it yet. It's been about two years now. But uh, they were sitting around looking at this uh, uh, book, and, and, and some people were saying, Oh, I see it, I see it. And, and, and others were saying, Well, I don't quite see it. And then they talk a little longer, and all of a sudden they go, Oh, there it is, there it is. So I asked them what's going on, and what was going on, as a lot of you know, is this. It looks like ordinary, like, wallpaper. But if you look at it in the right... Well, I, I never put this wallpaper up, but some people might. But if you look at, if you look at it in the right way, if you look at it sort of cross-eyed, um, or if you look through the, the picture, they say, or if you put it up to your nose and gradually take it away like this, I'm trying to get it. All of a sudden, this, this picture... There it is, right there. I, I'm seeing it. There's... I really am. I'm, I'm not kidding. There's a three-dimensional thing here. And you see this three-dimensional picture, it all of a sudden pops out at you. Now, at this party, I couldn't get this thing happening. I was, I was looking at it, and I was getting so frustrated there, saying, it's right there, it's right there. Just look through the picture. Now, how do you look through a picture? Yeah. And I was, in fact, I thought for a while it might, it might have been a joke. I thought that, you know, probably before I got over, they said, let's play a joke on the pastor, you know, and they... they We'll pretend like we see something he doesn't see. I borrowed the book, and about two weeks later, after trying about every night, I was sitting down on the couch, just staring at this thing. Shelly's upstairs in bed, and all of a sudden I saw it. It was one of these first pictures, and his heart jumped out at me. All of a sudden it was, boop, there it was, and I saw this heart. And I started laughing, and, and you know, Shelly, wake up! You know, I see it. A eureka experience. But here's the thing. What's the point of all this? The thing is this. Seeing the three-dimensional picture in that book is, it takes away, it, it, it has to do with a way of seeing. The picture is there, the three-dimensional thing is there, but some people can see it and some people can't. Some people have a capacity to see it and some people don't. Steve Van Sickle tells me he's tried time and time again for, for a couple of years to see those pictures and he still can't see it. Which, if you know Steve, doesn't surprise anybody. <laughs> Steve, try, try opening your eyes. Maybe, uh, no. 
But the same thing applies, I believe, on a spiritual level. It applies, first of all, to just seeing the things of the Spirit, to seeing the reality of God. Some of you can, can remember the time when all of a sudden the light went on, when God began to work in your heart. And, and uh, all of a sudden, God became a reality. It's like maybe you even believed in, believed in Him as an idea, believed in Jesus Christ as an idea, believed in the authority of the Word as an idea. But there can come a time where all of a sudden things appear differently. All of a sudden, it's as it were, you see three-dimensional, when previously you were just seeing two-dimensional. And God becomes a reality. Like this morning, you're aware of the Spirit of God. This isn't an idea. This isn't a concept. This isn't a game. This isn't a show. This isn't anything. God is real. His presence is here. Now, there can be a person sitting right next to you that doesn't see nothing. They see music, yeah. They, they, they see some people raising their hands. They, they see people getting a little excited and they don't know what. But they're cold as fish. Well, what is this? But you're sensing the Spirit of God because you see something they don't see and it causes a reaction inside of you. I believe that the same thing is true about seeing the enemy. The Lord calls us to be warriors. But the problem that we have, and we've talked about this the last two weeks, the problem that we have is this. We are systematically conditioned by our culture not to see what every other culture outside of our own has seen, and that is the reality of a warfare going on behind the scenes in a spiritual realm. We are conditioned by the naturalism of our culture, by the materialism of our culture, by the world view of our culture, by the rationalism of our culture, the scientific heritage and the technological heritage of our culture. We're conditioned to define what is real by what we can see with our physical eyes, what we can hear with our physical ears, what we can touch with our physical hands, what the senses can know. That's real to us. Everything else is sort of unreal. We're just conditioned not to see it. Other cultures see it very clearly. But we... We, we censor that out. We censor it out. So we're like Steve Van Sickle looking at these pictures, or me on that, that Christmas party looking at these pictures, saying, I, I don't see it. Now, I believe that it's there because you tell me it's there, but that I just don't see it. And so we hold this belief in, 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 in Satan and in demons and in angelic powers, principalities and powers, rulers, dark forces, demons and all that. We, we hold that belief because the Bible tells us, but we never really see it for ourselves. Okay, you, you say it's there, I believe it's there, but great. Now, now what? And you see, as long as this belief is only a theoretical belief on our part, it will never impact our behavior. I believe, theoretically speaking, statistically, that there's a 1 in 1,500 chance that my house will be robbed tonight. I believe that. You know, it could happen. Or whatever the statistic is, but but I don't really think it's going to happen to me. Now, my wife, she believes that it's really a possibility. She, she, she lives in that reality, so she remembers to lock the door at night, and I never do, which drives her crazy, because I'm usually the last one to bed. But see, it's not real enough to me. It's not real enough to, to me to do anything about it. It's real enough to her. Now, if my neighbor got robbed, all of a sudden I'd be locking the doors, because now it's real. Now I see it. Now it's there. It's, it's, a, it's a real possibility. But it's exactly the same thing in the spiritual realm. We can believe in things theoretically. And I told you about this two weeks ago when, when the light went on for me. I held this theoretical belief in angels and whatnot, but it never impacted my behavior. Even when there was a demonized person right in front of my face, I didn't recognize it because I wasn't looking for it because I didn't believe that it was really a possibility. It wasn't real to me. And what needs to happen, and sermons aren't going to do this, and music's not going to do this, the Spirit of God has just got to do that. What's got to happen is for us to have our eyes opened up to this. To, to, to get 
The ability to see three-dimensional when previously we've just been seeing two-dimensional. What has to happen is that we've got to, in some respects, spiritually speaking, catch up to the pygmies in, in, in Australia who see what we don't see, and that is that the world is caught in a crossfire of cosmic warfare. This, this world has been seized by an evil enemy and forces that were never meant to lord over this earth. And the, the, the horror and the sin and the pain and the woe and the destruction that's going on all around us it is not what God wills. It was not part of His perfect design. It is there because of the fall. It's there because of the war. There's bullets flying. There's bombs exploding. There's deformed kids and whatnot. The last thing we should ever do is say, well, that's kind of the mysterious will of God. Now, this is stuff Jesus tells us we're to be fighting, we're warring against, but we don't do it. As long as we think that it's just a theoretical thing. Yeah, somewhere out there in some cosmos, there's some spiritual beings fighting, but it doesn't ever affect me. God is calling the church today to open up our eyes, to open up our eyes and to begin to see. And God's got to do it. Holy Spirit, I want to ask you right now as I'm talking to be turning lights on, to, to really be able to see that, that our life is surrounded in, in spiritual war. Lord, uh, help us to, to begin to be invigorated by this. Uh, Lord, protect us from fearing this, but, but, but to create a courage within us because the Bible says that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, right? But a power and of love and a sound mind. And God wants us to see the reality of the warfare that's going on around us. Jesus Christ came, the Bible says, to spread the kingdom of God by vanquishing the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that He came to destroy the works of the evil one. He wanted to set us free, but the way He sets us free is by destroying His enemy. He was talking about this cosmic war, this battle that's going on. And now He's empowered the church, the Bible says, to carry on this warfare, to clean up the work, to apply the victory of the cross. But as long as we're blind, as long as we can't see it, we don't ever rise up. We don't ever fight. We don't... As long as we don't see it, you know what we got? As, we think that our marriage problems are only marriage problems, and our physical problems are only physical problems, and our kid problems are only kid problems, and our church problems are only church problems, and we don't see that oftentimes behind the whole thing, there's an enemy. And see, if we're not shooting at the enemy, we can take care of things in flesh and blood level here. In flesh and blood, blood world, we take care of things. But see, our, our fight's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And until you take care of the principalities and powers, you're always going to be having a problem. God's got to open up our eyes. One of the exciting things that's happening in the church today is that God is opening up the eyes of His Western church to begin to see the reality of what's going on, to begin to wake up and do battle and pick up the sword and put on the armor and to begin to go forward in, in, in the work of God. But God's, God's got to do it. The enemy is real. And we're called to recognize that. Now, one of the things that, that sometimes happens is this. It's a word about this. But sometimes people say, well... Gosh, I don't like that idea. Um, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Uh, that, that makes me feel uneasy. You know, I like to believe, I, I feel insecure. I, I, I like to believe that everything is just the way it's supposed to be, you know, and, and, and things are rosy, and, and everything ultimately follows God's blueprint, and, and nothing's really wrong. I like to believe that. You only get away with saying stuff like that in America. Because, see, here's a, here's a peculiar American uh, epidemic. We think that truth is defined by what we like and don't like. You know, if you go to Rwanda last year and ask them, are you in war, they don't answer, well, I don't like that thought or I do like that thought. The way you define what is true is by opening up your eyes. Look out the window. If there are people dying, if there's people on the floor, if there's blood flying everywhere, if there's bullets flying everywhere, you're probably at war. And whether you like it or not is irrelevant. I have this happen to the students all the time. You, you, you put forth an idea in theology. And they respond, not by asking, well, is it true or false? Is the Bible for it or against it? They respond by saying, I don't really like that. It makes you feel uncomfortable. You see, 
Nothing could be more irrelevant than that. I didn't ask that. It's not a matter of whether you like it or not. Nobody likes war. Everyone wishes we were already in heaven. That's a given. The question is what is true. Because if it's true, if it is true, if this stuff is true, and I suspect it is, that we are in fact at war, that there are spiritual forces in high places, and that we have a role in fighting them, then whether we like it or not, we've just got to be able to step up to the plate and hit the home run and go for the Lord and take the, the artillery that has given us and do something with it. And as it turns out, is that when you begin to move in this war, you find that your Christianity really begins to kick into gear because God didn't save you to sit around and enjoy your own salvation without doing anything. God called you to be a mighty warrior. And there's a part of you, there's a part of this, the spiritual equipment that God gave you that is frustrated to beat the band until you get in the trenches and start doing the warfare, start doing the battle. Your Christianity begins to get exciting. It begins to take on a new dimension to it. You begin to see the three-dimensional pictures. And that's when the stuff really starts to... You know what? Here's one, one, one little word, and I've got to move on to my second point here. But God never gives us more than we need to get the job done. If you're sitting back in the Bahamas sipping a martini, you don't need a, a tank. Because tanks don't have any role to play back in the Bahamas sipping a martini. But if you're sitting down there in the trenches doing battle, you know what? You need a tank. God's going to give you a tank. You need, you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the gifts of the Spirit. He's going to give you the gifts of the Spirit. You need some spiritual authority that will make demons tremble. He's going to give you that spiritual authority. But if you're back in the Western world, the, 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 the flesh and blood land, and, and you never want to rise above, above it because you're a little uncomfortable with that idea, it's no wonder that you're wondering, where, where's the power? Where's the juice? Where's the military? Where's the arsenal? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's all the goods? Well, you don't walk in that because you don't need it. You're in flesh and blood land. You want to start enjoying the power of God. Begin to see the reality of God. Begin to experience the anointing of God. Just make the decision to step into the trenches. And it's scary because you wonder if God's going to come through. But you know what? He will come through. And then you begin to experience the stuff. And it really gets kicking. It really gets kicking. That's what you were created to do. Second thing here. The enemy is real. Number two, the enemy has got schemes. Paul says, Take your stand against the schemes of the enemy. In fact, the whole point of this passage is to equip us to take a stand against the schemes of the enemy. The word schemes there means a clever, conniving, secret plan. A clever, conniving, secret plan. Now just consider this. Here's this being. This ought not scare us. If we know who we are in Christ, this should get us sort of ticked off, okay? But it should not scare us. And God, I want to pray for protection here. This should cause us to run to Christ, who is our security and our power, but it should not scare us. If it scares you, it's because you don't realize that you're inside of a fortress that's bigger than this. But here's the reality. This is the being that the Bible says is the God of this planet, the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's got control of the entire world, 1 John 5.19. He's the master of death, Hebrews 2.14. He's the prince, the highest authority of this world, Jesus says in John 12, John 14, and John 16. Now look at this. This being is sitting around all day long, conniving, wondering, planning how he can do you in. He's smart. He's got an IQ that's probably bigger than all of us put together. Uh, he doesn't understand love, and that's, that, 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 that's what does him in. He can always be outwitted uh, when it comes to love. That's why he didn't know why Jesus Christ was sent to earth. He does not understand love, but he's smart in other regards. He's powerful in other regards, and he sits around wondering, how can he do you in? There's three things that the devil hates more than anything else. He hates anything that's good, but three things he hates. He hates Jesus Christ, so he, he got him crucified, but it backfired because he doesn't understand love. 
He tried to do the Jews in. I really believe this. The Jews are God's chosen people in terms of having a role throughout history. They've got to be there at the end of the age. Satan knows that if he can get rid of the Jews, he will destroy the plan of God. And so he goes after them. Why, why have the Jews been the most persecuted people on the face of the planet? Why did Hitler try to exterminate them? It's the enemies behind all this scheming to do them in. So also, the enemy hates the bride of Christ. Ooh, he hates the bride of Christ. He hates her beauty. He hates what Jesus Christ does for her. He hates the affection that God has towards his bride. And so he is, and the Bible shows us, he sits around conniving, scheming secretly how he can do the bride of Christ in. And who is the bride of Christ? It's me and it's you. Here's what we've got to learn from that. Just get this. First of all, whatever else, whatever else this, this, this does for you. Water break time. Ah. Whatever else, however else this hits you, it means this. There is. If you understand what you're up against, there is no room in the Christian life for coasting. Amen? If you are not intentional about your Christian life, you've got to know this. There's a being out there who's bigger than you who's intentional about giving you not, getting you not to live the Christian life. If you are not intentional about what goes on in your mind, you've got to know this. There's a being out there, a cosmic force, who's pretty far up there, who is intentional about getting you to think ungodly thoughts. If you're not intentional about living a Christian life, there's a, there's a being out there that's intentional about living, getting you to live a non-Christian life. If you're not intentional about growing in the Lord, you've got to know this. There's a force out there, kind of a spiritual power of gravity that's out there trying to pull you down so that you go in the opposite direction and lose out with the Lord. There's a power out there that's against us. Which is why when you start to coast, you're going to coast downward. Because to do nothing is to lay yourself bare. If you're not clothing yourself with the armor of God, you've got to know this. There's a being out there. The Bible says he's a roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8. A roaring lion. He is a spiritual predator. And his prey is you and me. And if we are not on the ball, if we are trying to coast, if we're trying to do the religion thing, the church thing, the night thing, you're a sitting duck. You're a sitting duck. And some believers wonder why year after year, day after day, they have the same problems, the same hang-ups. They go through the same motions. They've got the same addictions they've always had, same rays they've always had. Wonder why, if Christianity is true, if Christianity is true, why are they not growing? Why are they just getting worse and worse and worse and worse? You see, and they're waiting, they, they, they're waiting on God to do something about it. Paul says, put on the full armor of God. We'll talk about this next week. But that's something you do. I got dressed this morning, but my clothes didn't dress me. I had to put them on. <laughs> Thank God for that insight. <laughs> There's something that we're called to do about it. We've got to be intentional about this thing. To coast is to be, end up going backward. If you're not growing in the Lord, if you're not, if you're not striving to develop a new, a new dimension in your relationship, a new insight, growing in your commitment, beginning to experience things you haven't experienced before, if you're not going forward, chances are because of this enemy, you're going to be going backward. It's time this morning. This morning is the time. Maybe some of you want to come forward after the service and make a commitment with this, but it's time to get serious about your walk. Coasting time is over. The minute you begin to see it all, the picture in the book, begin to see this dimension, you know that the coasting time is over with. The enemy's got schemes against you. Second thing that we need to know is this. The Bible tells us, the Bible commands us, to not be ignorant of those schemes. Paul says we are not ignorant. We must not be ignorant of Satan's devices. You're going to go into battle, you've got to know who you're dealing with. This enemy has got brilliant, clever, conniving schemes against us. And Paul says, know about them. Know about them. Don't be ignorant of them. Because if you're ignorant of them, you'd fall victim to them. Do you know how little the church in the West 
Now, the church in Africa is a totally different thing. They got this stuff down pat, folks. They've always had it down pat. We need to learn from them how to have it down pat. So much of the Western church, though, is totally ignorant of Satan's schemes. We're totally ignorant of Satan. We just think that everything is just wonderful and rosy. And so we fall prey to that. In fact, the fact that we think that everything's all rosy is part of the way that we know that we've fallen victim to him. The greatest scheme the enemy ever had is convincing people he doesn't exist. We need to understand something about the schemes. Almost all of them, to some degree, involve deception. Let me just say a word about this. Lord, move here. The enemy tries in a lot of different ways to deceive us. Deception is a matter of making someone to believe something to be true that is not true. The enemy tries, first of all, one of his greatest tactics, perhaps the greatest tactic as it concerns the believer, is this. To get believers to have entertained, to believe as being true what is false about God. To have a false picture about God. Do you know how many believers have a view of God that, has, that is totally unlike Jesus Christ? They have a picture of God. Now, they can say the right theological language, but if you begin to look into their life, what they have is they've been lied to. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Satan lied to Eve about who God was. God's threatened. God's not all powerful. He's not all loving. Oh, no, he's threatened by you. He's scared of you. Paints a false picture of God. She believes it and ends up sinning because of that. Satan so often comes and in various ways, sometimes using preachers to do it, gives believers a false picture of God. This is why, why, why Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that legalism, hear this now and say amen, legalism is the doctrine of the devil. Paul says that. Amen. Why? Because it gives you a false picture of God. Instead of the God who's up there on the cross saying, I love you unconditionally, just put your trust in me, what you get is some kind of a tax accountant up in heaven keeping a ledger on things, and I want to thank God for tax accountants. I need them once a year, but I'm glad they're not running the universe. God, he changes God into this kind of a, 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 a note-keeper God, which no one would really love with the depth of love. There's nothing that beautiful about it. There's nothing that transforming about it. Some believers got a picture of God where his hands cocked back like that saying, screw up one more time and I've had it with you. A God who's always angry at you. A God who's always a little bit peeved at you. A God who's always disappointed in you. The enemy doesn't plant that. Because you see, if he can undermine the integrity of God, he undermines your passion for God. So a lot of times believers wonder, why don't I have the excitement? Why don't I have any, any enthusiasm? Why do I find living for God so hard? But you find out that the God that they're trying to serve is this, is this kind of God. And in the face of this kind of God, you can go, I love you because you're scared of getting hit, but you can't go, you are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words? Too wonderful for comprehension? Like nothing ever seen or heard? No, the God of the cross, you say that too. This is why Jesus, so often in his ministry, this breaks the deception, folks. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. Don't go looking for the Father to the left or to the right or above or below. If you see me, you see the Father. No one has seen God at any time. John 1.18 says, but the only begotten Son, He has declared Him. He's made Him known. You want to know what God is like? Don't be guessing on the basis of what your dad was like or what your mom was like or what your pastor was like or anything. Look to Jesus Christ. The Bible calls Him the Word of God. The Bible calls Him the image of God. The Bible calls Him the form of God in Philippians 2. The Bible calls Him the expression of God. Get your cue as to what God is like from the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. But the enemy's always in there trying to deceive, trying to plant false ideas about who God is, trying to plant false ideas about who you are. That's why Eve, the minute she believed a false picture about God, she, she felt she had to go and eat something off the tree. Well, since God is that way, I guess I'm not okay the way I am. If God's not okay the way He is, I'm not okay the way I am. That's the way it works, folks. So there's something i got to get to be wise. There's something i got to get to really arrive. i got to actualize myself. 
So she goes reaching off for the tree. That's a, that's a device of the enemy. We're bombarded with it day and night. Deception. There's, you're not okay the way you are. You've got to get this. You've got to buy this. You've got to acquire this. You've got to look this way. You've got to act this way. You've got to do this, 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 and the other thing if you're going to be okay. God is not enough. Why? Because God's like this. So you have to do something in order to get okay. If you're a religious person, you do the religious stuff. If you're not a religious person, you do the unreligious stuff. Both are wrong because they're based on deception. The enemy is deceiving. He's a roaring lion, planning deception, fogging up what is true, getting people to believe what is a lie, but they believe it is true, and they, they, they're really hot about it. The enemy is lying about morality all over the place, getting people to believe that things are okay that are not okay. It's just innocent fun. I don't know whether I'm just getting old or whether it's because I have teenagers or whether I'm just getting biblical, but I'll tell you something. I'm beginning to hate TV. I... I, I I'm finding it more and more difficult to watch TV. So, <laughs> Pat, did you like what I just said here? I, I get in the press. Here's this guy. That's not Pat. I always get you wrong. Sorry, Neil. But uh, um, the idea here is, is I, was, I was watching TV the other day, this show called Friends. You know, it's funny. Good. I'm not, and I'm not saying we have a rule in this church no one's allowed to watch Friends. No. We're not going to have a television burning thing, I promise. But here's what's true. Here's what's true. I'm watching that with my 14-year-old daughter, and two weeks ago they had this lesbian marriage where Newt Gingrich's sister performed his wedding and did a real in-your-face sermon. Whenever two people love each other, any two people love each other, God is very, very pleased. That's sending messages all over the place. Last week they had this thing, and I'm not going to go preaching on different shows all the time. I've never done this before, I don't think, but I want to do it here because I'm really ticked off at it. They have this, 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 this guy and this girl get together, and they kind of like each other, and they kiss for the first time. He immediately goes and grabs her behind. Well, she giggles. Well, that breaks the mood. Oh, you ruined it. You know, this could have been so sweet, and now you giggled. And, and, and she, she says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to giggle. Here, go ahead, do it again. And he goes, no, no, we, we lost the moment. And she, she's trying to get him to grab her inappropriately. They haven't even had their first kiss yet. And she says, come on, oh, oh yeah, she feels so stupid. Well, they go out the next night, and oh, it's so cute because they get together, and they end up going to his workplace. He works at a museum, you see, and then they were looking at this, this, this caveman exhibition, you know, and then they started to do the wild thing, and they just kind of got down there, and, and, and they, uh, there they, and there was no giggling, and it was really kind of great. And the next morning, they wake up, and there's all these kids looking in the, in the caveman exhibition, seeing these two people naked there on the floor. It's just such a cute little show. Well, you see, that is sending message after message after message after message. This is just normal. Hollywood has got the moral convictions of a degenerate fruit fly. <laughs> and there is a force. I'm not saying every show is demon-possessed or anything like that. And maybe I'm oh, guilty of overstatement here, but, but listen, take the truth for what it is. We've got to recognize that there is a spiritual force. If First John 5.19 is telling the truth, that Satan has control of the entire world, well, he's certainly got control, at least significant control of the media, and we've got to be aware of that. The enemy is involved, and this is why we need spiritual perception to see this. The enemy is involved in getting us deceived into thinking that when we harbor bitterness, that that really is empowering us. When in fact is a cancer, get rid of it. The enemy is involved in all sorts of rage that we acquire, depressions that we acquire, discouragements that we acquire, we have to know that sometimes, at least, there's a force behind there and start to shoot at it. Let me share with you the experience that I've had. Every time I've ever taught on this subject, the enemy I, gets really ticked off, and, and uh, I, I usually take hits. But I thank God that this last three weeks has been relatively mild in terms of what I expected. And it's because there's a lot of people praying for me and praying for the rest of the staff. Um, 
We have, in fact, Norm got a little vision before the service this morning when we were coming out here. We were praying, and he got a picture of this incredible fortress, the last fortress all around us, and nothing can penetrate. And I thank God for that. But here's what happened this last couple of weeks. To share it with you. Discouragement comes from the, from the enemy. But uh, um, I, I had this dream. And he's never, usually he tries to intimidate by having some kind of bizarre manifestation, some kind of eerie stuff, okay? This was much more subtle. Had a dream twice in the last two weeks. Here's the, how the dream goes. I'm in a worship service, and everyone's singing and praising God, but it, we're having the songs, but it sounds very shallow. And people are excited about the music, and they're excited about the singing, but really, I know that no one's attention is turned to Jesus Christ. And so I'm grieving. And then I stand up to preach, and I look out there, and there's three or four people out there, and they're asleep. And then I hear this laughter. <laughs> kind of sinister laughter, just like in stereo, surround sound, going around the auditorium. And no words are said, but the message is very clear. This is the scheme against me now, because this is my Achilles heel. I've always struggled with this, believing that it's real, believing that Christianity is real. This has been my Achilles heel, and the enemy goes for it. I've always, str- I've always struggled with it. I- the message in the dream was this. Did you really thought, think you could make a difference? Did you really think it was going to be any different? They like the carnival. They like the bells, the whistles. They like the nice music. They like the show. As long as you put on a nice show, things are going to be fine. But it gets old, it gets boring, and then they go away. And it's always that way, and that's what church is. And then there's the laughter. That's very, very discouraging. Do you really think you made a difference in anyone's life? Because, see, my, my Achilles heel has always been thinking, I see a lot of church, I see a lot of religion, I see a lot of great programs, and I see a lot of stuff, but I, I have trouble seeing the gospel sometimes. Is it really real, or is this, is this just another gimmick? Is it another little shtick? Is it a show? Is it a pro? I can't stand that. The only thing I want in life is reality. The enemy just starts doing that. And for a couple of days, I was discouraged. A couple of weeks ago, I was just really kind of under, like, Ugh. it's one of those, you ever have dreams that just nag you and it's there, and it's like, ah, I can't get rid of it? But see, then I, I saw three-dimensional. I began to understand that, wait a minute, this is, this is a scheme. This is part of a plan. I began to realize, I began to stop being ignorant of Satan's scheme against me. And I began to come up against it. And I want to tell you how, because it's very useful in your own life when the enemy comes against you. I've learned something that's a a very important principle for me. I think it will be for you too. It's this. Never defend anything that is not defendable. And everything is undefendable except for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ can defend himself. Here's what I mean by that. The enemy is sometimes against me. It comes against me. comes against Steve. comes against Norm. comes against you by saying stuff like this. You think you can actually do something for God? You think you actually make a difference? You think you've got a right to preach? You think that, who do you think you are, you unworthy spiritual maggot? You know what your thoughts are like. You know what your spiritual climate is like. You know that you should not be up there. You know that probably everyone in that congregation is more spiritual than you. No wonder you feel out of place around Christians. What? Who do you think you are getting up preaching in front of people? And what I've learned is this. Now, he's exaggerating when he says that. I want you to know He's exaggerating. Maggots going a little hard. Termite, but not a maggot. But I, I, I've learned this. Don't even try to defend yourself. I can sit there and say, well, wait, wait, I, I pray, I pray an hour a day. Well, most people don't pray an hour a day. I read my Bible, blah, 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 blah. But sooner or later, I lose. Because I'm not defendable, not of my own, not of my own power. But what I've learned is this. Jesus Christ is the only thing. That when Joshua in Zechariah 3 was being accused, he didn't try to defend himself. The Lord robed him in righteousness. And so also when I'm coming under condemnation, I've learned this. Don't try to get into that game. Don't try to defend yourself. You point to Jesus Christ. And you say, you know what, enemy? 
everything you just said, you know why you're so stupid? I'll tell you why you're so stupid. It's because all of that is irrelevant. Even if it's true, even if I am a spiritual maggot, it doesn't matter because Christ has rendered that irrelevant. And if He wants to make me righteous, that's His prerogative. And if He wants to use me, that's His prerogative. It's not about me, it's about the Lord. So the laugh is on you. Amen. Amen. The joke is on Him. So also with the church. You see, God used this to, to teach me something that was very important. You see, when, when, whatever the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. And he'll turn it around if you just hang in there. So God used the enemy to teach me an important lesson, and it was this. As indefensible as I am, so also the church is indefensible. And see, I could sit there and say, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of people at Woodland Hills who are very committed, and, and, and they really worship, and we've got great worship, and it's growing deep. And I could try to get in an argument with the enemy, but eventually I'd lose. Because we are just a bunch of sinners. Probably a lot more fickle than we ought to be. So don't buy in the ballgame. What you do is you point to Jesus Christ. And you point to Jesus Christ and, and, and say with this, and this is how I rebuked him, and the freedom came. You know what? Even if everything he says is true, let's say I come here this morning, and there's four people there, and, every, and, and worship never did occur. You know what? It's utterly, utterly, utterly irrelevant. I don't get life from that. I get life from Jesus Christ. i to remind myself of that. And so you say to the enemy, and you don't have to say anything to the enemy, but sometimes if you want to be in his face, it's kind of fun to do. But you say this, you know what? This isn't about... Us, it's not about our character. It's not my job with any kind of preaching or any kind of music or anything. It's not Steve's job or Mary's job or Norton's job or anyone's job to try to build a church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. This is about Jesus, not about me. This is about, this is about his character, not about our character. And if Jesus Christ wants a bride that's fickle, then that's his prerogative. Let him marry her. I don't have to put up with her. He does. And if he chooses to do it, then let him do it. So, enemy, once again, the joke is in your corner. Worship team, why don't you come forward? We're going, to do it. We're going to end with a song here. Bottom line is this, folks. In all, I didn't get to the third point, but here's kind of what it was going to be. In spiritual warfare, we'll talk more about this in the time to come, but in spiritual warfare, what's all important is this. Don't try to defend a fortress that's of your own making. It's indefensible. All that we are and never shall be. All that will ever bear kingdom fruit. Whether we're talking about our marriages, talking about raising kids, talking about our own depression, talking about our own anxiety, or talking about our church, it doesn't matter. Whatever warfare we get involved in, you've got to know this. To the extent that you try to do it on your own, you will fail. But when you begin to see the reality of spiritual warfare, where's the worship team? You guys, come out here. If you don't come out here, I'll be preaching for the next 15 minutes, and then the people in the nursery are going to die. You guys, when it's, when it's all said and done, whether building of the church, the raising of the kids, the getting together of the, of the good marriage, you've got to know this. It's not about our power. It's not about our might. It's not about our willing. It's about Jesus Christ who happens to be almighty. Let me read this verse, and then we're going to sing this. You guys ready to sing? Okay, hang on for a second. Okay, this, is, this is found in, in Zechariah. Just, just hear this. and it's gonna, Lord, apply it as it's supposed to be applied. Zerubbabel is very depressed, like I was a couple weeks ago. Discouraged. So the Lord says to him, this is the word of the Lord to you, Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And then he says this. The Lord says to this, to the mountain, What are you? I feel like you're a mountain, Norm. What are you, Almighty mountain? What are you, Almighty mountain? Listen to this. Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone, the tip of this mountain, to the shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. You need a mountain to be removed? 
The last thing to do is to get out your own little spoon and start digging. No. Let the Lord's power, let the Lord's might, let the Lord's spirit take control. Surrender to Him and become the mighty warrior that He wants you to be. Let's end by doing an in-your-face-to-the-enemy kind of thing and by saying, you know what? This church, in my life, is not about me. It's about the Lord. By His spirit, it will be done. The mountains shall be moved. Let's stand and proclaim it. Amen.